I'm Deidre. And I'm Chelsea. And we're giving you a million murders. All right. Yay. Get into it. <laughs> we're back. I almost started this episode as just, we're back without the whole oh, spiel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like we <laughs> like we were just picking up where we left off because we are in real time. But like, y'all, it's, it's like two weeks later. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. So y'all had to wait for this next part. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah. We're back. Yes. Okay, I want to hear it, so let's go. <laughs> Just as invested. Okay, so where I left off two weeks ago was, you know, Brian and Cecilia had been attacked. There was those, like, three women that saw the creepy guy in the parking lot, and then he followed him on the beach, and then mm-hmm. he left, all that. So we're assuming that is the same, you know, that that was the Zodiac right, that they yeah. saw. Because mm-hmm. then the attack on Brian and the murder of Cecilia would happen. So, like I said, no one knew, but two weeks later, the killer would find another victim. Okay, so two weeks after the Lake Berryessa murders, Mm -hmm. well, murder and attack, on October 11th, 1969, a 29-year-old cab driver named Paul Stein started his shift around 845 with the Yellow Cab Company, which is like still around, like Yellow Cab. Yeah. We used Yellow Cab in college, so I'm like, I didn't realize it was that old. So far, yeah. Yeah. So, he picks up a passenger and takes them to the San Francisco airport. Then around 9.45, he's now in the theater district, downtown San Francisco area. They suspect he was close to Mason or Geary Street, since that's where, you know, the most cabs would be needed in the Mm -hmm. area. So, he's probably like in the primetime hotspot, you know. So once he arrives to this area, he immediately receives a radio dispatch to 509th Avenue. This is, no, this address is in the Richmond District of San Francisco and is about 10 to 15 minutes away from his current location. So before he can get to this section of town, he gets flagged down and a man gets in asking to be driven to Washington and Cherry Streets, which is a block from the original destination that he was going to. Mm -hmm. So he's like, okay, cool. Right. I'll drop him off, and then I'm a block away. Mm-hmm. Well, when he arrived at Washington and Cherry, he was shot once in the head at point-blank range with a 9mm semi-automatic pistol. Mm. But not the same that was used in the second crime involve, um, involving Darlene and Michael. Mm-hmm. So, I don't think I even got into this, but there have been different guns used for all of these murders. Like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's one thing that kind of makes people wonder, like, okay, is it the same person? Like, obviously, it seems to be because he knows information that he shouldn't yeah. know. But, you know, there's all these different guns. So a 9 millimeter was used with Darlene and Michael and with Paul Stein, this cab driver. But, so a 22-millimeter semi-automatic pistol Mm -hmm. was used for Betty Lou Jensen and David Faraday's murders and attacks. Then the nine millimeter was used um, with Paul Stein and Darlene and Michael. And then of course he had a gun on him 
whenever he killed Cecilia and attacked Brian, but he didn't use it because obviously they were stabbed. So, you know, there's like different guns. And like I said, that nine millimeter um, pistol isn't the same nine millimeter that was used. The others, yeah. Yeah, so we've got like potentially three different guns that were drawn, used, etc. at this point. Um, So three witnesses, two of which were 13 and 14 years old. Crazy. Yes. I mean, how traumatic. Mm -hmm. Okay. Watched the suspect from about 50 feet away as he wiped down both sides of the cab with a cloth after killing Paul. Mm-hmm. So they're watching this guy wipe down the car for evidence. Yeah. 50 feet away, and they're 13 and 14, and then there's an adult. And I don't think they were together. I think it was the two kids outside, and then an adult also saw it, but, like, they he, they weren't oh, with the kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they also saw him go through Paul's pockets, but didn't see the murder, nor did they hear a gunshot. Hmm. Yeah, so, like, I don't know how, but, you know, that's what happened. They called to police... And described the killer as a white man, 25 to 30 years old. They went on to describe um, that he seemed to be around 5'8", five, 5'9", five, with a stocky build. So this is fitting mm-hmm. everything that's been said before, except um, the woman at the beach, who said he was like 6 feet to 6'2". But oh, she's yeah. also probably sitting down, and he's walking by. Yeah. So it may... easily, I think. Yeah. Like, that can be... To be messed up, You yeah. know. Like, mistaken somebody who's 5'8 for 6'2. Like, I'm almost 5'8. So, if someone was like, she was probably like 6'2, I feel like that would be kind of odd. I'd be like, I'm obviously not 6'2. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe it was just a creepy guy and that wasn't the Zodiac that they saw. Mm -hmm. Who knows? I mean, it was the 60s. It was the 60s. The 60s. Some of y'all will catch that reference. So, yeah, she went on to describe he seemed 5'8, 5'9, stocky build. His hair was reddish brown, worn in a crew cut, with heavy rimmed glasses and dark clothes. So this reddish brown hair is not really matching anything. Yeah. You know, I mean, they've said brown, but people have said like brown, almost blonde. So I don't know. But um, the last known sighting of the killer was North Cherry Street. Somehow, the police dispatcher described the suspect as a black male adult. Hello, come on now. Come on now. Where, where are you getting that from? See, and they gonna get like yeah. this is the 1960s. This is 1969. Okay, like this was not. I mean, even now you can't be messing stuff up like that. You're gonna mm-hmm. get someone killed. Yeah. Okay, got them looking out here for this black man, and he's not black at all. Okay, so due to this huge mistake, Donald Fook and Eric Zelms, two patrol officers, walked right past the killer heading east on Jackson Street, and never stopped to question him. Once the description was corrected, the officers did realize they passed a man with glasses, light-colored hair, in a crew-cut style that looked to be 35 to 45 years old, which doesn't really match, you know, what they said, but between 180 and 200 pounds. So the main differences between the witnesses and the officers' descriptions would be the age description they both provided, Mm -hmm. um... And they would end up making two sketches, one of the young witnesses descriptions and one of the police. They look almost identical with some aging, um, making up most of the differences like the descriptions described. So Paul's murder was officially thought to be a routine robbery gone bad. 
although the San Francisco Chronicle received a letter from the Zodiac that contained a portion of blood-stained shirt to take credit for the killing on October 13th, 1969. Uh-uh. Yeah, so he takes a piece of Paul Stein's shirt, which is probably what he was doing when he got in the front digging, when they thought he was digging through the pockets. Mm-hmm. He was cutting a piece of the pocket. Cutting. Cutting a piece of his shirt. And sent that to the newspaper. That's insane. I mean, he was out here wilding out. He I was mean, wilding out, and he probably did. Well, he did now. Could be. Yeah, potentially, depending on how old he was. Yeah, I mean, 20... The ages were wrong. Yeah, but... my dad was 20 in 1969, so, I mean... Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. <laughs> but it, it's true. So he could still be alive if he was like 20 years old. But the descriptions and age and stuff, you just can't tell anymore. So, yeah. you know, who knows? Um, so San Francisco Police Department inspectors Dave Toshi and... Or Toski? Toshi? Toshi? Toshi, Toski. Toski, Toshi. I should know this. I'm sorry. And Bill Armstrong were assigned the case and were in disbelief when they realized it was the exact print of Paul Stein's shirt he was wearing at the time of his murder. So in this, and of course he sent a letter. He didn't just send the shirt. So the Zodiac went on to say, this is the Zodiac speaking. I am the murderer of the taxi driver over by Washington and Maple Street last night. To prove this, here's a bloodstained shirt, a bloodstained piece of his shirt. He went on to chastise the police for failing to realize they walked past him on the street right after the murders. I mean, and he would call the police out. Like, he was ratchet, okay? And he was like, I don't think I put it in here, but he was just like, you know, if they had been paying attention, then they would have known that they walked right past me and all this stuff. So he then went on to write something that would terrorize San Franciscans, San Franciscans, Skins. Skins. He then went on to write something that would terrify San Franciscans for long after. School children make nice targets. I think I shall wipe out a school bus some morning. Just shoot out the front tire and pick off the kitties as they come bouncing out. Okay, so like now he's now he's messing with the children. Okay, and people are in a panic. Patrol cars and aircraft followed buses to and from school. Armed officers rode on board for added protection, and many parents just decided to take their children to school if they were able to. Mm-mm. Which same, no, y'all yeah. not gonna have my kid on the bus when the Zodiac killer's out here wilding out. Mm-mm. No, so the Zodiac then sent another letter along with diagrams of a bomb he wanted to plant along bus routes. He called the device the Death Machine. When police announced they had a sketch and fingerprints from the scene. The Zodiac responded with another letter dismissing the sketch and wrote about putting glue on his fingertips to avoid leaving fingerprints. From what I can see, nothing ever came of the fingerprints. That's smart. Yeah, I'm like, does that work, though? I mean, I guess. But I... That's crazy. Yeah, like, I don't know. Just what is going on? Some kind of... (laughs) What is happening? Information like that is scary to even let people know. You know what I mean? Right. Ooh, like I've always wanted to kill somebody. Yeah. But now I really can because I can put glue on my fingers. Yeah. Like if that. If it works. If it works. But, you know, because. I don't see why it wouldn't. I don't know. I guess it depends on what kind of glue you use and like, is it going to kind of absorb into your skin where it's just like 
Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know. So anyway, um, when I was researching, I found pictures of them, of like these fingerprints, mm-hmm. and they did appear smudged. But the photos are also over 50 years old as well. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. But in early 2004, the decision was made to close the case, even though the original detectives were outraged. So, like, Dave Toskey, I think it is Toskey, mm-hmm. um, was furious. He's like, why are we closing this case? But they did in 2004. So, besides the murders, there were other things going on. On October 20th... um. 1969, someone called the Oakland Police Department demanding to speak to F. Lee Bailey or Melvin Belly um, and for them to appear on the AM San Francisco show hosted by Jim Dunbar. Bailey wasn't available, but Belly appeared on the show. Jim Dunbar told his viewers to keep the lines open so he could call. So he's like, I want to talk to somebody and I want them to come on this show and do, 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 do. Mm-hmm. So they do it. Yeah. And someone claiming to be the Zodiac called several times. Ratchet. Okay, listen, this is, this is where it starts to get, you know, a little crazy. So Belly asked him for a less ominous name to call him. And he said, Sam, the caller said he wouldn't reveal his true identity because he was afraid of being sent to the gas chamber. Belly arranged a meetup with the caller outside of a shop on Mission Street in Daly City, but no one showed up. The call was later traced back to a mental institution, and investigators decided the man wasn't the Zodiac. So, like, these phone calls were coming from mental institutions, somebody pretending to be mm-hmm. the Zodiac. Um, and so, you know, that kind of was a dead end. Um, and then November 8th, 1969, the Zodiac mailed a card with another cryptogram consisting of 340 characters. He getting on my nerves. <laughs> okay. Like he's this <laughs> cypher. Sent another letter. Yes. Like, is this Blue's Clues? Like, what are we doing? What is happening? Okay. The so, police setting up her. We just got a letter. To <laughs> wonder who it's from. Zodiac. Like, yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, this cipher was this cipher. This cipher was dubbed Z340. November 9th, the next day, was when the Zodiac mailed a seven-page letter speaking about the night he killed Paul Stein and how the officers walked past him and missed the chance to apprehend him. Okay, so on December 20th, 1969, a year to the day of the murders of Betty Lou Jensen and David Faraday, a letter was mailed to Belly, the lawyer mentioned earlier, and it was another swatch of Paul Stein's shirt. The Zodiac said he wanted Belly to help him. The Zodiac also demanded people in the Bay Area wear some nice Zodiac buttons with his symbol. When the public didn't respond the way he wanted, he wrote in a letter he had punished them by shooting a man sitting in a parked car. They don't really say if there was someone they found in a parked car. You know, but he said he did that. Yeah. And then in March of 1970, a woman named Kathleen Johns told authorities she accepted a ride from a strange man who resembled the Zodiac. Things took a turn and he threatened her life. Kathleen said she managed to escape by jumping from the man's car. The Zodiac would later claim that it was indeed him in the car that night. So this, like, I didn't really go into this much, but I will now. So this woman, if this is, I'm, 
yeah, this is who this is. I was like, unless there's a second woman and I'm forgetting and it's later in the story, this woman was on the side of the road and um, I don't remember if something had happened to her car. She was having like trouble with her tire or something. Mm -hmm. And this man stopped and helped, you know, in quotations, helped fix it, fix her tire, whatever. Well, then he drove off and she drove off and then her tire fell off. Okay. So now she's back on the side of the road Mm -hmm. and he's like, Oh, okay. Well look, I'll give you a ride. So it's her and her baby. Like this is a baby. Okay. And she was in the car with him for hours and a couple hours. And he was like, not going anywhere to like get help for her. Mm -hmm. And so she started getting nervous and he was like, saying stuff like when I help people, what well, after I help people, they don't, or after I take care of them, they don't need help anymore mm-hmm. or something weird like that. And then he threatened to kill her and she jumped out with her baby and everything was okay. You know, everybody was safe, but like, we're pretty sure that that was the Zodiac and she just got away. So that happened. And then in one letter, the Zodiac had these long rambling descriptions of wanting to torture people, along with selected passages from the Gilbert and Sullivan musical, The Mikado. Um, And some letters also featured a box score, which credited him with multiple murders following by the notation SFPD, San Francisco Police Department, Mm -hmm. equals zero. And the taunt, I hope you have fun trying to figure out who I killed, the police shall never catch me because I have been too clever for them. He was constantly toying with the police. Like, he even wrote a letter in a different letter. Hey, Blue Pig, doesn't it raw you to have your nose rubbed in your boo-boos? Like, he's real... <laughs> he's so extra. And then he also put, and I have grown rather angry with the police for their telling lies about me. Mm. And it's like, okay. So, now we're going to talk about Paul Avery. He was a reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle, and he started back in the late 50s and was a police reporter who covered the Zodiac case for the newspaper. Mm -hmm. He was sent a Halloween card from the Zodiac at one point as well. While Paul was reporting on the crimes, he found a potential connection between the Zodiac killings and the unsolved murder of Sherry Jo Bates. Now, this is something that's kind of up for debate. Yeah. You know, did he or did he not have any involvement in that and some people will say he did and some say he didn't sherry joe bates was a young woman murdered near the riverside city college campus on october 30th 1966 um i will probably end up covering her case in an episode Mm -hmm. as well because there's a lot of similarities but i think she deserves her own episode as well Mm -hmm. like yeah you know um so this predates all zodiac killings because they started in 1968 Mm-hmm. So this is two years prior to um, David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen. Okay. Okay. And the Los Angeles Times received a letter on March 13th, 1971. And the Zodiac wrote that he was impressed by the police work, which had linked him to his Riverside activity. But he claimed that there were still more victims yet to be found. He then went on to write that if the Blue Meanies are ever going to catch me, they had best get off their fat asses and do something. Like, he's so disrespectful, okay? 
this letter would have SFPD zero, the zodiac symbol, and then a 17 plus beside it. So, you know, <laughs> he's like keeping score or whatever. Mm-mm. Yeah, no, he's like, like, I mean, he's literally taunting the police. And I mean, they can't find him. They don't know who he is. I mean, it's a mess. That's so, so aggravating. I would be so mad. I would be so mad. So after the, this letter, things seemed to slow down and the cases went cold by the summer of 1971. There were other letters that would come between 1974 and even a possible letter in 1978. Um, some people believe others started writing in the years the letters were received. Mm-hmm. And some of the letters weren't even signed by the Zodiac or with his symbol. One letter was signed um, a citizen. A citizen. Yeah, just a citizen. So, you know, we don't know if some of the later ones were even written by the Zodiac. Yeah. So as far as suspects go, there have been thousands of them since 1968. But I'm going to go over um, three of them. And we've obviously, we'd be here all day if I tried to do you know, a fourth of the suspects. So I'm going to do three. And the first one I will go over is Arthur Lee Allen. If you've seen the movie Zodiac, like I was talking about earlier, well, in the first episode, episode, part one, one. (laughs) um, you know that he's considered to be the prime suspect in the film, but there are things that make him fit the bill and not fit the bill as well. Okay. Uh, So Arthur's connections with the Zodiac go back to Sherry Jo Bates being murdered at Riverside city college. Although I didn't get into much detail about her murder, the letters typed to the police and newspaper were typed on a Royal model typewriter. Different typewriters have different fonts and the typewriter that was used to write these letters were either, was either a Pika, which is a 10 point font or an elite, which is a 12 point font. So you had like Pika typewriters and elites and they had different Mm. font sizes. So when Allen's home was searched uh, in a 1991 warrant, the Vallejo police department seized a Royal typewriter with elite type from his home, but they didn't attempt to match the typewriter to see if it could be the one that wrote the letters that typed the letters. So Arthur's friend Philip made a statement to the police back in 1968. And in the statement, he mentioned Arthur's fascination with the concept of hunting people after reading the book, The Most Dangerous Game. He apparently felt it would be more challenging to hunt humans rather than animals since they have intelligence. And on July 31st, 1969, if you remember, the Zodiac mailed a cipher to the media. And after two days, it was deciphered by... Um, the school teacher and Betty, Donald and Betty. Yeah, Donald. Uh huh. I was like, I don't remember his name, but Betty's the one we need to remember <laughs> anyway. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and it mentioned that man was the most dangerous animal of all. So, you know, it's like okay. So his friends even saying he was watching the most dangerous game, and he's saying that in the letter. Okay, so Arthur's family and friends also told police he had possession of a group of codes that resembled the symbols used in the zodiac ciphers before they were published by the media. So he's already got stuff with the Zodiac symbol on it. Arthur also used the spelling of Mary Xmas as Mary X mass. So like usually it's X M A S and he did X M A S S. 
he would intentionally misspell words because he thought it was funny, which was something we've seen throughout the letters written by the Zodiac. Like stuff would be misspelled all the time in these letters. Like there was, I was reading one earlier and um, there was one in it, but I didn't point it out. But yeah, mm-hmm. so like this is a common thing. And so there were also other phrases used in Zodiac letters that resembled jargon used by teachers. And Arthur had 10 years of experience in the education field. Hmm. Arthur also wore a Zodiac watch until it was seized during the execution of Vallejo police department search warrant in 1991. Um, Arthur was fired from his job as an elementary school teacher for molesting a student. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So whether he's the killer or not, he's trash. Okay. He was dishonorably, he was dishonorably discharged from the Navy after being enlisted for two years, which would mean that he could potentially have the wing walkers that were found at um, the Lake Berryessa scene. Yeah. He also lived about two miles from where the Lake Herman road murders of David and Betty Lou took place. And he had a terrible temper and was known to park and drink in rural areas with a gun in his vehicle. Uh-uh. Yeah, like, come on now. That's crazy. Yeah, why are you doing this? Y'all, I'm sorry. There's a train. There's cars driving by. We've tried to stop and edit these out. But you know what? They I'm, just keep coming. I'm leaving the train <laughs> in. So, anyway... When the Vallejo Police Department searched his house, they found the same ammo used in the Lake Herman Road attack. Okay. The attack at Blue Rock Springs, where Darlene was killed and Mike was attacked, was about four minutes away from Arthur's home. So, like, Mm. they're finding all these things and finding out he lives really close. Arthur's friend, Philip, I mentioned earlier, had a brown Corvair he was trying to sell during this time. And he would let Arthur use it from time to time. The Corvair mm. was brown, just like the one Mike described, leaving the scene of his attack and Darlene's murder. When the Lake Berryessa murders took place, Arthur told the police that he was going to the lake that day, but went to the coast instead. Ratchet. Yeah. Okay, listen. He said he was with some he said he was with some couple from Treasure Island, but he couldn't tell the police their names or phone numbers to confirm. Which like phone numbers, okay. Yeah, you know, but their names, you can't tell me who you were with at Treasure Island or from Treasure Island. Like, okay. Arthur also said he and his neighbor talked about the attack and tried to use him as an alibi, but mentioned that he couldn't speak with him because he passed away a few weeks after the encounter. So he's like, oh, my neighbor saw me, but he's dead. So I'm like, okay, great. And Mike Majo did a lineup in July of 1992 and pointed out Arthur as the man who shot him as well. Hmm. Okay. So Mike, that's Mike and Darlene. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Mike from Mike and Darlene, um, Mike and Molly. Yeah. Mike and Molly. Like, you know, so he said, that's the guy who shot me on August 26th, 1992. Arthur Lee Allen died at 58 from natural causes. He suffered from diabetes and heart problems. Mm. Okay. So there are many other things that link Arthur Lee Allen to the murders, but when the police department were finally able to test the partial DNA that was developed from the Zodiac killers, they were able to replicate a DNA sample large enough to test from saliva traces beneath a stamp on one of the letters. They used the brain tissue 
from Arthur's 1992 autopsy, and it wasn't a match. Mm. So, like, I just read you all this stuff, but the DNA wasn't a match from the stamps. No. So, like... That's aggravating. I know. I know. I... And in the movie, you really think he's the one who did it. I mean, they sell it. They yeah. sell it so hard. But the DNA is not a match. So, you know, did he take it to the mailbox, mail and the lady lick the stamp? Did somebody or a man, a postmaster or something? Like, we don't know. But there's a lot of things that make me think maybe the Zodiac killings were... I don't know. It's just weird. Yeah. Like, I, I want to think he did it because there's so much evidence. But then if the DNA didn't match, I'm like, obviously, he didn't do it. But what if he did some of them and then the Zodiac just took credit for it and he was OK with that because he didn't want to get caught? Yeah. You know, I don't know. But anyway, but then he's had all the stuff with the letters. I don't know. So, OK, our second suspect is Richard Gakowski. Richard was born in 1936 and died of cancer in San Francisco in 2004. He served in the Army during the 1950s and was a trained medic. Medics in the military are trained to tear clothing off of someone bleeding to use as a bandage. You were trained to use someone's undershirt first since it's the cleanest item of clothing. And the Zodiac tore someone's shirt tail in this exact manner during one of his attacks. So... I'm assuming that that is um, Brian because I don't, all the other ones, he just shot him and walked away. So it was either Paul Stein or Brian. I can't remember which one he did that to. Um, so in December of 1964, Richard was living in Martinez, California, which is about 45 minutes from San Francisco, but he lived less than five miles from the first Zodiac killings. Hmm. Okay. So David and Betty Lou. Mm-hmm. During this time, he was an editor for the Martinez local newspaper. This newspaper was owned by the Vallejo Times-Herald, which is one of the newspapers that received a letter from the Zodiac and where Richard's best friend, Bob, worked as well. Okay, so Richard was an investigative reporter for the Martinez newspaper. And at one point, he wanted to write on the conditions of the county jail from an inmate's perspective. Okay, so he wanted to do this. So he was placed in the county jail where they did a full intake, including fingerprints. By the time he was a suspect for the Zodiac killings, however, it had been over 20 years since he was at the jail and his fingerprints were gone. Uh, They were gone. I'm like, oh, just keep all the fingerprints. You never know who's going to come through there. Just keep them. Yeah, like I don't... Yeah. So the only way to get his fingerprints... To test them again against like the Zodiac would be with his consent or a court order. And it looks like this never happened. Like they never did get it off the ground and now he's passed away. So now we can't. So there's also a connection between Richard and one of the victims, Darlene Farron. Darlene moved to Albany, New York after getting married in 1966. Richard would move cross country as well. Darlene's husband worked at the Albany Times Union newspaper, while Richard worked at the rival paper called the Albany Knickerbocker News. Um, In August of 1973... What a name. Yeah, Knickerbocker. Hey, Mr. Knickerbocker, buckety-buck. I like the way that you talkity-talk like this. 
Do you remember that? It was from Barney. So I do remember that. <laughs> that you sang hey, it. Mr. Knickerbocker Bockety Bock. Um, but anyway, so yeah. Yeah, weird name for a newspaper. And um, but you know, he worked for that newspaper and in August of nineteen seventy three, four years after Darlene was killed, the Times Union in Albany received a letter from someone claiming to be the Zodiac. So now he's mailing stuff to New York. Or someone was, and once the letter was solved, the cipher that was included with the letter made a reference to the Albany Medical Center. Uh-uh-uh. So, like, you know, I don't know. Eventually, Robert, nope. <laughs> eventually, Richard would move back to California and was in attendance for Paul Stein's funeral. The cab driver who was murdered by the Zodiac. Yeah. Paul's sister, Carol, recognized him as a funeral goer. The day Paul was murdered, it was Richard Gakowski's cousin's first, which I know this sounds random, but <laughs> it was his cousin's birthday, and she lived on the same street as the murder took place. Dang. Okay? Like, I'm telling you, each one of these, there's some little stuff, and it's Mm-mm. like, uh, you know, I don't know. So, um, the one and only time the Zodiac sent a letter to the Vallejo Times Herald Richard's best friend, Bob, worked at the Vallejo Times. And on March 13th, 1971, when the Zodiac sent a letter to the L.A. Times, there would not be another letter for almost three years. And during that time, Richard was involuntarily placed in the Napa State Hospital after a mental breakdown. Mm. He would later be diagnosed with mental illness and begin treatment at Mount Zion Hospital in San Francisco. So, you know, interesting that he's placed, you know, in an inpatient mental health facility and there aren't any letters for three years. Mm. Now, it doesn't tell me how long he was there, but he was there. So the third and final suspect I will go over, which, like I said, there's plenty of them. Yeah. I researched on different websites and I feel like the first two were the most commonly known. And then I found this one and I was like, okay, I'm going to choose this as my third suspect. Obviously, Mm -hmm. if y'all want to go and research more, you're more than welcome to. (laughs) Um, But there are a lot of suspects. So the one I'm going to go over is a more recent suspect that may not be an official suspect in the investigation. And his name is Gary Francis Post. Hmm. So this, y'all may have heard about this. This was in the newspapers, um, two years ago, um, how all of this got started. So a group of cold case investigators have identified him as a likely candidate. Gary was an Air Force veteran with a scar on his forehead that matches the Zodiac scar, like in the um, composite sketch, like they kind of have a scar on his forehead, Mm -hmm. like kind of above a wrinkle. And his name fit extremely well into one of the coded notes. There were also witnesses that said Post had a violent personality and that he may have led a criminal group in the 70s. Mm. Okay, so, okay. Uh -uh. (laughs) He was born in 1937. (laughs) And after leaving the Air Force, he later became a house painter. In the 1970s, he moved to California and married a woman in Groveland who had a young child. One of his old neighbors said that they used to babysit her through the 70s and 80s. So Gary and his wife would babysit this woman. Mm-hmm. And she said that Gary taught her how to fire a gun 
At which I'm like, why are you babysitting somebody's kid and teaching them and how to shoot a gun? That, yeah. Okay, so there's that. And she witnessed him being violent towards his wife. And mm-hmm. the wife often slept on their couch. I wish I would. He gonna be on the couch. Yeah, no. If anybody's on the couch, it's gonna be like, why are you putting me on the couch? And this is like back when like... Who knows? She may have pe- wanted the couch. Yeah, she may have been like, I don't even want to be in the same room with them. <laughs> but anyway, so there's there's some tea on that. So the investigator's sources said there were a group of young men in the area that were very loyal to him, to this Gary guy. He apparently taught them how to turn a pipe bomb into a bomb big enough to blow up a home. Dang. Yeah. I mean, listen, I don't know. Like, why are you teaching people to make bombs anyway? So if new cops would move into town, he would have the boys vandalize the cops home. Yeah, to, like, make them try to leave. Absolutely not. Um, It's so... I don't know. Like, all of these people have done some crazy things. Yeah. And terrible things. Um, All of these suspects on their own. So, like, it's not like there's, like, oh, there was this man. He seemed to be sweet, but yeah. we don't know. He fits the bill. Like, no, it's like he's teaching kids how to make <laughs> bombs. He's teaching kids how to shoot a gun. And it's not his kid. He's doing all this stuff. Um, and one of his old followers mentioned that he loved to hunt and would kill bears, deer, and otter, otter, among other things. He said that he liked to shoot them. Watch, now not Gary, but the follower said yeah. he liked to shoot them, watch them fall, and then mess with their carcasses. Like he was like into the whole thing and like That's he would get gross. all bloody, which like you're going to get bloody if you're, I mean, hunters probably get bloody when they're doing their thing with the with all the stuff but it was like he really enjoyed like getting the blood on him and mm-mm. that's disgusting i know he nasty so <laughs> he nasty he nasty so they also think that he murdered sherry joe bates as well um so during like in her at her crime scene there was a broken watch with paint splatter found and um it was purchased at a military base like, oh. they've researched it that far and found that out. And Gary did have military and house painting experience because he was in the military. Right. He became a house painter. Mm-hmm. And he also went for checkups at the March Air Force Base Hospital, which was 15 minutes away from where Sherry was murdered. Police also found footprints from a size 10 shoe at the scene that matched other Zodiac Killer footprints, which was the same size Gary wore. Mm-hmm. So those are my suspects. And that is the case of the Zodiac Killer. The Zodiac Killer. Yes. So. He's a ratchet. He is ratchet. So what do you think? Like, do you, we know it's not, well, we know it's not Arthur Lee Allen's DNA on the letter. I don't know. We can't test Richards. And Gary is who these investigators think fit the bill the best. Um, and they had used, they said something about like his full name, Gary Francis Post, was like, a part of the cipher or something like Mm. it could be like used in the cipher because like the last letter he wrote, he was like, my name is boop, boop. And they were like, this would fit, but they don't know if it's 
for sure, you know. So it's still unsolved, technically. They don't know for sure. And Gary Wayne and Gary Wayne Post. <laughs> like, I have like Gary Wayne Ridgeway. I think that's who I'm trying to say. But anyway, Gary Francis Post has also passed away. So I mean, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know, but if they're still alive, I need them to write a letter. Telling them that it they're the one and it better be the one. Yeah. Because I don't want him to die and never know. Because I just can't stand this. I know. I know. I want to know who it is so badly. And we. I think we will know before we die if we live to be at an so? old age. Yeah. If we live to be like 80, like, I think. I don't know about me. <laughs> well, I don't know about me either. But if we live to be that age, I think we will know. I think we will die knowing if we died in old age who the Zodiac Killer is. Yeah. I mean, we'll eventually find out. But I want to find out why I'm alive. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm. Gosh. If I. Listen. I need all the questions answered. Like, all these people up. Yeah. That's done, like, gone, know who it is. And who it's killed, like. Who killed John Bonet? Can you just tell me? What happened to Jimmy Hoffa? Who, like, who did the, oh, and the Tylenol murders. Like, yeah. I'm going to have to cover that because I haven't read any more in, like, information on it. But I don't think, I don't think that they figured it out yet. But they're testing the DNA. So that person's either shaking in their boots or they gone. <laughs> they already in the grave. Shaking I don't know. I don't know. But anyway. Well, that was good. Thank y'all. Thank you. I tried. I know there's information that was left out. So, you know, I'm not saying that I did the whole entire case cover to cover, page to page. But that's the gist of the. Yeah. Know. I mean, I covered the murders. I covered the potential murder. A couple suspects. Mm-hmm. So just something to get you get you started. Get you thinking about get it. Get you thinking about it. Yeah. yeah. Being obsessed about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, corrections, please email us at amillionmurders at gmail.com. And you can also check out our Instagram, amillionmurders. Um, look at the pictures of the people, places, things, of the cases that we cover. You can also go to our Facebook page and group. Communicate there. We post things, you know, when we think about it because mm-hmm. yes but if you don't have you know email you can contact us on our instagram or our facebook yes and i think that's everything so thank you all so much for tuning in and thank you we hope you come back for <laughs> a, a million, million more, more. bye, bye.